Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. This is our New Year show, and two of our guests, two of my most favorite people, are on the program, and they're coming to us from Texas. So I want to fit in and feel very Texan, so I brought the appropriate headgear to this occasion. Uh, and you're all welcome. Is that what you say down in Texas? Anyway, I'm joined by Linda Gasparello, who's not from Texas, um, who is from New England via Virginia, mostly Virginia, and we're coming to you from Rhode Island, but in Texas, in uh, Austin, Texas, the capital of that great state, where, by the way, you very seldom see anybody wearing the right headgear. I don't know why that is. I think that's the blue part of Texas. Guests uh, uh, are Andres Carvalho, who is with the Texas State University. He is also head of his own distinguished uh, technical consulting company, CMG. He has been associated with or authored the best part of 40 books, mostly to do with the internet and uh, to electricity. He was with Austin Electric at one time, uh, getting them into the smart grid era. And he is sometimes referred to as the father of the smart grid. And one of my favorite people, John Sibley Butler, who is actually from New Orleans, but comes to us from Austin, where he is with the University of Texas, another great Texas institution. He is a most fascinating man, but he tends to get derailed talking about football when I want to talk about the great issues of the time. So off we go. New Year. It is the time to be happy, to look forward, to be hopeful. John Sibley Butler, how do you see the new year unfolding? I think it's unfolding in a very interesting way. When you look at, as we project ourselves to the new year and we look at what's happening with the virus, and then there's a combination of hope, despair, and looking to the future. So on the one, time, on the one hand, people want, they want a normalcy. They want an equilibrium. They want things to be as they've been. We want to get behind this virus kind of thing. And then we turn on the television and we see that uh, the futures, of course, are down on the uh, stock market. And then we see is there a probability of canceling all of your great uh, events for the, for the holidays. But looking forward to the new year, there's always this idea of prosperity. And one thing about America is that we always look for the new year in a prosperous way. So I think that the new year would be a, a, a mixture of the old and the new. Last year we said, let's put the old year behind and move forward. We tried to put it behind, but it kept bobbling up again. And then of course, in terms of economics, we have what's going on in Washington DC and the, and the Biden plan and, and whether or not it would pass or not. If you look at the futures on the, on the, on the uh, stock market, they went from being very, very healthy to going straight down because we, we wondered what would those, um, all of the infusion of cash from the Biden administration, the infusion of cash would do for the economy. Uh, what would the infrastructure do? So going for the new year, it's a mixture. There's equilibrium, a hope of equilibrium of things somehow becoming sane again, but it looks like we're going to pull in the last two years with us. I might say that both Johnny and 
Andres are successful businessmen in their own rights, as well as being uh, academics. They, they've, uh, they've really got it all together, as it were. Andres, how do you see the new year? Luella, thank you for having me. Um, and it's great to see Linda and Johnny. Uh, I am telling you that 2022 will be an iconic year. It will be remembered for a long time as a shifting year of many things that are in confluence, electric vehicles, cryptocurrencies, the digitalization acceleration because of COVID and its latest uh, incarnation and Omicron. Uh, and humans will adapt and continue to succeed and thrive. The biggest challenge the society has is what do we do about those that are displaced from the homeless to low-income folks to the digital divide that is getting created in many ways. And I think that that's going to be ultimately our biggest challenge as we move forward. Uh, but I see, I see signs of really troubling things you know europe is trying to pass a mandate in the european union about vaccinations and you know so this whole debate about you know our rights and so on and so on i mean it's just really incredibly uh, uh testy uh times and i think 2022 will you know somehow will everything will come together and i think we will emerge you know as a as great humanity as it should be uh but there's incredible forces right now everything seems to be brewing uh probably in many ways not in the right direction hence why the economy looks uh you know very at odds of what's happening right now but i i'm very optimistic that uh that we will figure this out in q1 and uh the acceleration of the utilization will propel uh, us through it, and uh, we will be, we will, you know, pass all these things. And Linda, how do you see the new year? I would say your new year is going to be fabulous, but you got me. <laughs> of course, Llewellyn, of course, it will be fabulous because I have you, and I have my two friends from Texas, and you can see where the heart of Texas really comes through and the optimism really comes through. But I do share some of their worries about next year. Next year, I think, is going to be, for a, a good part, a continuation of the untangling of the problems that we have this year. Uh, inflationary pressures, I think, are still going to continue into next year. I think we're still going to have this labor shortage, which is a really interesting one, partly caused by early retirements, partly caused by people who have left their jobs and gone on to other jobs mm -hmm. and don't want to go back to their old ones. Now, Europe had a solution for that, which, which we didn't. And it's something that's typically European. European companies kept people on the payrolls. The government paid for people to stay on the payroll. So they never really left their jobs. They went right back to their jobs and it's giving them a head start in recovering, whereas we didn't do that. We did something that was typically American. People went home, women who found out that they're, you know, they didn't have to pay for childcare anymore said, okay, you know, I can work remotely and I can start my own business. And what they found out was they would rather stay with their own business than go back to their old one. So that's a unique, interesting thing that happened, you know, 
during last year, and I think will continue through this year. Mm -hmm. There's another thing that's going to happen, which is going to maybe deal a big body blow onto all of us, which is the 2022 elections. Midterm elections are acrimonious. There's usually a party swing in the House. It looks like it will go Republican, which may be a joyful thing for a lot of people, but it's going to be very wrenching for President Biden. It may stymie his progress on the Build Back America bill uh, and things that he would like to do for the rest of his term. And I think we also need to look abroad at what is happening in Europe right now. You've got Russian strangulation of, of their energy supply, which means they're going to have a lot of leverage. And Russia is going to be able to get Europe to give them concessions that they might not be able to get from the United States. You've got the Russians amassing over on the Ukraine border and the possibility that the United States and NATO will send in uh, troops to that area. So there could be a possible conflict there. And as far away as China, you see China doing things like, like starting to amass data from shipping lanes. This, this is a national security problem for us to have so much data in the hands of people that could use it for ill, might use it for ill. It is a very, very mixed picture, but don't lose sight of the progress that is being made how the human race is making enormous progress. Uh, I look at rockets that go into space and come back and position themselves on the launch pad. I find that incredible. That is incredible engineering. It's also just incredible imagination. It's out of science fiction into our lives. And this is happening in many things. 3D printing, we are printing bridges and houses which is a lot more economical of raw materials than if we were making these things in the traditional way, particularly anything that's manufactured in a factory. Medicine is always on the move, and it's going to be more so because of the stimulation given research and the glamour now attached to research by COVID-19. There just is a lot good and a lot to worry about. Linda mentioned Russia, which I think is a large problem in Europe. I think it's partly a European problem that Europe has put itself in the dragon, in the bear's clutches by becoming so dependent on natural gas from them and the very complex relationship with China. This is not the Cold War uh, repeated. This is something different. Trade is enormously important to China and you can't trade with somebody you're de facto having a war with. So it's a new kind of challenge. I think there's a tendency to be very anxious. We live in a time of anxiety. So it's a good idea to take a little personal inventory. How am I? How are these terrible things affecting me? I'd also like to break into the broadcast at this moment and say that we should remember those who have lost in this last year, particularly recently in the aberrant weather. I've been in touch with people in Kentucky and Tennessee. The thing is, when we have a big catastrophe, everybody sends money initially, but the problems go on for a long time. So go to WFPL.org, click on Here's How You Can Help Tornado Victims. Johnny, you are 
a very interesting man in my view. Uh, among your talents, you taught regularly in Japan management, you taught in China, and you are a statistician by trade. Uh, you don't think of a statistician as being somebody like you. You think of somebody with a green eye shield, not a Texan hat, and, and uh, who is really rather tedious. Tell us about statistics as a subject. Well, you know, you, you refer to it as analytics now. And if you go through a PhD program, you will be a statistician, economic, sociology, <laughs> and basically what we've always done is to model the world. We've always looked into the future and, and we used to do it with census data. But for the first time, Llewellyn, we can now model the world in real time. Now, we call that analytics. Or we call it big data because people like to shy away from statistics. But at the end of the day, it is still the old regression toward the mean. So let's think about statistics and the model makers. That is, how do we model the world in the future in many disciplines? For example, one of the greatest things that happened back in the 1960s was when Dan Rather went down to a Texas coast and they modeled the movement of a hurricane. All of a sudden, we had the data to see where hurricanes would go. Now, can you imagine with me, we have so much data now that we can actually write the equation for the movement of people. And that's all based on triangularization, is based on networking, and it is a it is the old psychology, so, social psychology, uh, sociology deal is, tell me Llewellyn King's network, and I will tell you his future. So therefore, when, when we model the, the future- Bleak, 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 bleak. It's based on the movement of people. So statistics is a way of modeling. It's not math, although it requires some math, but it's a way of taking data and asking, as Andreas just said, will the future be bright? Uh, and, and if you look at it, what's interesting about it, I can model the movement of, of, of how the virus right, uh, goes about its, its work uh, with, with the movement of, of uh, disease in a human body. So we're using the same kind of uh, data analysis for the movement of diseases in the human body to predict the movement of the virus. So statistic is a way of looking in the future it's a way of modeling the data, but more, more importantly, it's a way, as finance would say, how can we project a better future? Remember, Llewellyn, the only difference between us and cave people is statistics and finance. That is, we can create the future by modeling the future. So it is a way of looking at the future and it's getting better and better. Now, of course, it has been computerized and we call those algorithms. So algorithm is a learning equation, a learning statistic equation. So Llewellyn, we used to tell computers what to do. Now they tell us what to do. And it affects airplanes, it affects automobiles, it's gonna affect everything uh, in, our, in our electrical homes, our water meters. They put in a smart water meter in my house uh, last week. All of that data requires statistician, or as the general public would say, uh, data analysts. So it's the best thing that has ever happened. And welcome to my world. Andre, you too are a data freak, if I might use that somewhat pejorative uh, introduction. Uh, but you, you have lectured me on our program, the one that you run every Wednesday at 
3 p.m. Eastern time, 2 p.m. Central time, work the rest of it out for yourself, uh, in which you and Johnny and myself and a guest, an informed guest, uh, spend an hour debating these issues. Uh, we'll put a little note on the, on, the, on the screen to show how you can tune into that. But on that program, you have alerted me to the huge importance of data. And you have taken it so far as to say that even a homeless person is generating data. Absolutely, Luella, and, and, and thank you for bringing that up because I think that uh, that uh, element of the future is unfolding as we speak. Uh, it, is, it is within our grasp, maybe we're five years away or 10 years away, when <clears throat> every human being will be compensated for the data that they create. We all, as we move through life, generate footprints of all kinds. Obviously, our bodies are functioning, our human bodies generating all kinds of data about our performance and about our illnesses and about our feelings and so on and so on. And then we, you know, we go through life and we, we have these footprints of all the things that we do and we leave these data trails, right, that today are not being recorded. But if they were being recorded, as we go from an analog to a digital world, uh, my math basically says that every human being generates on average 10 terabytes of data annually. And if we take the current price of data in the telecom world, it is roughly $25 for every two gigabytes of data. So that means that a human being that generates 10 terabytes of data on average on a yearly basis about their work, their habits, where they shop, where they eat, where they, where they travel, you know, their body data, all of the above, if that data gets recorded, and if they could put that data in a safe cloud storage location, and they were to determine who could have access to that data individually uh, on a segment in particular, or an aggregate in particular, that they could make at $25 per every two gigabytes, on average, $125,000 per year. And that would be the end of poverty and the end of homelessness as we know it. Because all that data is highly valuable for all kinds of research and development reasons and for all kinds of commerce reasons. Today, we just give that data out to the Facebooks and the Googles of the world for nothing, as we are in the very early stages of digitalization of the planet. But as we get more sophisticated, that will end and people will control their own data and determine who can have access to it for a fee. And that is my vision of what is gonna happen. There will be multiple ways of how we can get there. And again, that's just an average. Clearly you, Llewellyn and Linda and Johnny, are not average, and you may generate enough data to make three hundred or five hundred thousand a year. So, how does that sound to you? I, lo I love the idea. Uh, I'm not convinced, but I love the idea. Uh, Linda, 
Johnny and Andres, uh, first of all, Johnny, your comment about art being separated from the caveman by statistics sounds something like Orson Welles would have said in The Third Man. Uh, it's just, uh, and the cuckoo clock. But I'd like to ask both of you what your data crystal balls say about world population and the sustainability of world population, uh, given that through COVID and disease, we've been able to come up with new, new uh, treatments. Uh, people are living longer in spite of the fact that we've had this terrible pandemic and may have future pandemics. And they also have higher expectations now. Societies are, are advancing. Uh, China is a perfect example of that. So what do the data tell you about our future and the sustainability of the planet? First of all, one of the interesting things is the movement away from cities. You know, if you look at from the 1700s, 1700s, 1800s, people moved to cities to satisfy their daily needs. One of the interesting uh, data points now is the movement away from cities, brought on partly by the, the pandemic. And as, as people stretch and look at what they want to do, and, and remember this, Linda, cities have always lived and died. And remember that civilizations have always lived and died, whether, whether it was Egypt or whatever, ancient China or whatever it might be. So there's a rebirth. And the rebirth for, for Western societies have always come through the movement of people and the movement of, of technology. That is, how do we satisfy ourselves through the basic business kind of processes? And when we see, see that, then the question becomes, what kind of enterprises will direct us in the future? Will we be living in outer space? Will we have to move everybody to Texas? We have, we have lots of room in, in Texas, of course. And so you've got these trends that's going on and, and Malthus ideas about how population growth will subsume us. And then, of course, people live and people die. So I think the future depends on us. It depends on how we think about the world. It is always dependent upon our science. Can you imagine taking away the airplane? Can you imagine taking away the automobile? Can you imagine taking away the train? Well, that will put us back in a situation where people themselves will go no farther than five or 10 miles from where they were born. It will put us in a different kind of situation. So the more we can look backwards, the more we can look forward to the future. So if you look backwards, we see how we really, really tame the whole idea of the movement of people. And we look at how suburbs develop, we look at how cities develop based on the automobile, or the most interesting technology of all, the interstate highway. And Llewellyn, I've always wondered, why does Hawaii have an interstate highway? But that's another question. So I think that when we, when we look for, it's a bright, bright future for people can, but it's based on what we do. And if we look at quote, developing society, some of those societies were great, great societies at one time, but they forego the, 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 you know, the movement of technology. We can look at China. I mean, I was a professor there in, in, in China at the university in, in China. And you look at how just 40 years ago, how it has changed, how they went from agriculture to one of the most interesting dynamic technopolis, if you will, societies. So it's always dependent on how we think about the world and how we use science and technology to shape our future. Uh, yeah, those those are those are great points, Johnny. Uh, I, Linda, I would say that 
that, you know, I, I really believe that um, we are in a high speed evolution process that is always being driven by megatrends. And the three key megatrends driving what we're doing are digitalization, decentralization, and decarbonization. And um, because of those megatrends, a lot of things are shifting dramatically in our sort of traditional construct of life, uh, where people used to live in cities because they wanted to be attached to the power grid and to the water grid. Uh, but that's no longer needed, you know, with with solar energy, energy storage, with 5G uh, communications technology, you can actually, you know, start a new uh, cold in the middle of nowhere and everybody can move there and live happily ever after with all the benefits of energy and communications on a global basis. So, so I think that all these constructs are starting to happen. We don't see them dramatically yet. But there is a significant shift. So, so the, the point that I'm making there is that you know we don't need the folks that are hungry in the sort of the underdeveloped countries that are having trouble with with livestock and agriculture and lack of power and lack of water, and they don't need to move to where the cities are. We actually have finally the technology to bring the technology to them for them to stay where they are and actually reinvent or reimagine how they want to live. Um, and so, you know, the other thing that I think is happening is, you know, because of the great resignation that we're experiencing right now, where people are saying, I no longer want to work for a minimum wage. I want to have my own company. That great resignation is also shifting how capitalism and, and, and is managing that workforce entry level. Right. And, and, and we have, while we only have, you know, 7 billion people on the planet, a lot of people that are in those disadvantaged countries are having the challenge that I'm discussing. But in the developed world, a lot of people are saying no longer to the current status quo of how the sort of corporate ladder works. And they want to reimagine and re recreate a new corporate ladder that, by the way, is being financed by things like cryptocurrency. And so there is a phenomenal shift going on. And I think that we are actually going to run out of people that can work. We don't have enough qualified people that can work. We don't have people educated in the right skills that can work. So can we absorb another 3 billion people? Can we feed them? Can we give them water? Can we give them shelter? Can they have a successful life? The answer is absolutely. If you take the entire population of the planet, the current 7 billion, and you put them shoulder to shoulder, shoulder to shoulder, all of us together, we would fit in LA County. All of us, 7 billion people in LA County. I hope I'm not there. Sounds uh, <laughs> like, like New York. <laughs> <laughs> That's our show for today. And uh, you all have a great new year, right? Texas style. Thank you. I like the broad arm and I like the hat. Bravo. Bravo. Go, go <laughs> Texas. Go Texas. Cheers. White House Chronicle is available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. We are there.